Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about both Richard Jewell and Dark Waters and I am glad to be joined once again. Hasn't been that long, but we're glad to have him back, my friend Josh Brown. Josh, thanks for joining us. Thanks. I'm glad to run the jewels with you. Yeah, I should have introduced you as our new Clint Eastwood correspondent because I know you really treasure that title. Uh, though I mean like I don't know if he has another film in the works you know like I mean that doesn't mean he's not gonna like sign on to something in May and it'll be out by next December but because that's how Clint rolls these days but I mean it's just normally we get like one or two a year from him even though he's 89 and I just don't think that he's found the next one yet but I'm like you know Richard Jewell floated out there for a really long time and was had like two different directors attached and then all of a sudden like he got it at the beginning of this year and here we are so uh, we'll start. We'll start with Richard Jewell. As we said, it's the newest film from Clint Eastwood. It tells the story of the title character Richard Jewell, who was a security guard working security at the Atlanta Olympics in 1996. He had gone through some other things though, like trying to be a cop, worked at law firms, and did security at different buildings, and really just wanted to kind of work in some kind of law enforcement. And he ended up uh, saving a group of people when he detected a bomb threat at the Olympics. The bomb went off. Uh, one person died and several were injured, but because of his actions, several people. Were saved unfortunately though he due to his past and just other people being suspicious of him he for a period of time became the central target as the main suspect uh from the bombing and this movie tells the story about how he was under investigation and really until he wasn't and what he had to go through to deal with all that Uh, this movie has been the subject of some controversy thanks to its depiction of the atlanta journal constitution reporter kathy shrugs and we'll talk about that but i think it's also come under a little bit of fire just because of uh people saying hey is this another example of clint eastwood's politics not being in the right place and i think we both liked the mule last year and there wasn't actually a whole lot of that really present compared to some of his other movies and it just kind of told a fun story here uh, josh i mean i think you did have a pretty specific reaction to it that uh you wrote in your uh brief letterbox review uh what did you think about richard jewell for what could be kind of a straightforward story did did you find yourself overwhelmed with any kind of political messaging from our favorite uh septuagenarian filmmaker um yeah you know um it's funny because like when i saw the movie uh i came away thinking it was the most libertarian movie i've ever seen in my life so what did you mean by that i was curious So the movie is about, it builds up to the main character coming to terms with the fact that he should now fight the government, that he should hate the government after, you know, being enamored by people in authority. There's even a poster in uh, Sam Rockwell's character's uh, office, you know, and Sam Rockwell's playing a really, you know, likable lawyer. And in the poster in the background, it says, I fear the government more than terror it goes to sam rockwell for finally not playing a nazi for once and just playing a good guy or yeah, a, yeah. a racist or whatever yeah so uh, he plays he plays richard jewell's uh lawyer paul Hauser plays richard jewell but go ahead yeah and so the movie to me you know it's it's 100 percent just not trustworthy of the government it, it it has a lot of distrust over the media which gets into its sort of controversy and it's really you know, you could read it in, you know, in a post-Trump America that this is Clint Eastwood talking about how, like, you know, the media and the FBI are out to, you know, uh, bring down, you know, these maverick individuals uh, who are actually heroes. You know, like, it's, it's a movie about fake news. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, I guess, you know, I, I actually, I want to correct myself. I call Clint Eastwood a septuagenarian. I forgot that obviously means 70 to 79 years old. He's an octogenarian because he's 89 years old. Uh, fact, fact checking myself right there. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting about you saying that it, it it's about distrusting the government, I think I was going to wait to get to the whole thing about uh, Kathy Scruggs, but I think it's kind of important to just talk about now because my kind of biggest gripe with the movie is that aside from that is that because – or no, actually – because of how it treats her, and Olivia Wilde plays Kathy Scruggs, this Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter, and it's shown that uh, she uh, trades in sexual favors in order to get the scoop on Richard Jewell being a suspect of the FBI as she seduces John Hamm's FBI agent. And I thought, well, I can't what, – what, what can I trust about this movie was my thing. It's like – I mean it should just be something that you could tell straightforward in a compelling way because, I mean – Clint can still direct a suspenseful scene. I thought the actual bombing set piece was well done. And it, there, so there's room just to do like a straightforward two takes and we're done Clint, Clint movie where you're just getting the good stuff and going on. And except I just find myself constantly questioning watching this movie because of what they did to Kathy Scruggs. Can I trust anything in this movie? Because you see the FBI doing some really shady shit. So, uh, I mean, like trying to trick someone into trick, trick, trick Richard Jewell into signing something he shouldn't sign, trying to like make him read his Miranda rights like a joke just so they can count it as actually reading him or his Miranda rights. And I'm like, wow, this is wild if this is actually what happened. Like, I, I kind of knew the press side of this because I knew Richard, I didn't know a ton about it, but I knew Richard Jewell had like won a bunch of defamation lawsuits and stuff like that. But I didn't really know that the FBI, like, I, I thought, well, yeah, it's reasonable for them to investigate. Maybe they didn't keep a lid on it as much as they should have, but. I didn't know they did all this crazy shit. And I'm like, well, wait, did they do all this crazy shit? Because we don't, we know that Kathy Scruggs really, by all accounts, didn't do what they depicted her doing. So can we trust the movie to actually talk about the FBI's actions truly? And if I could trust them to do that, I might say it's like not really a fair critique that you just made to like be like, oh, yeah, this movie's all about screwing the government and being like, oh, we got to fight back against them because like, that would they would be totally warranted in doing that if the FBI indeed do all do all the stuff they had here. But now we're just left to think like, hey, we know what Clint's politics are. We know kind of how the Republicans have treated the FBI the last few years. Like, are they just kind of like portraying the FBI in a worse light than they deserve to be? And I just I found myself questioning that when I really should have just been focused on a movie, you know? Yeah, and here's the thing: uh, upon my own like half-ass internet research that I did, because uh, the Atlantic Journal. Um, has done uh, in the past couple of weeks a you know a campaign to try to restore Kathy Scruggs' image after she's basically uh, uh, being slandered by this movie with these false uh, accusations that she slept with an FBI agent uh, to you know get a source. From all accounts, what I read, obviously that did not happen. From what I gathered um, in my reading about Kathy Scruggs, is that she's a real life Atlanta. Uh, reporter, and that, you know, the other depictions of her in the movie that, like, you know, she was very friendly with cops, like, and she was a favorite amongst police officers, that, like, when she walked into the office, she had a certain energy to her, like, she was this, you know, hard talking. Yeah, but that part adds up, like, uh, in, in, like, you know, people's own accounts of her. Now, her depiction in the movie, though, beyond the almost unnecessary sex scene and we'll get that get to that in a second but like her depiction of the movie like i kind of half expected olivia wilde to like fly across it with a broom by the end of it because it it is pretty like one-dimensional like she's a you know uh, uh uh successful hardworking woman and so like 
you know, you just kind of get across that, like, she's a bitch. Like, that's basically the character um, in her depiction of that person. And it's not necessarily, you know, from all accounts, she did fuck up this, you know, reporting of this event. But, like, you know, she's not alive to sort of, you know, you know, stand up for herself yeah. and discredit all the misinformation about the movie. So it seems kind of gross that she's being depicted in this way for a variety of reasons. Yeah, yeah and I guess they, they kind of briefly at the end try and describe her uh, possibly like making amends or maybe rec- recognizing, I don't know, something she did wrong or trying to imply that maybe she at least gets to that point, but I don't she really... And, and in real life, so like the real Kathy Scruggs, like she's dead yeah. uh, and she died of an overdose and basically because of this case she really couldn't um live with herself basically she fallen into addiction problems and stuff like that um she was uh demoted within the um newspaper and so it like in real life it's kind of tragic what happened to her where it, it seems like you know she couldn't get over the mishandling of this case and it kind of ruined her life as well yeah, and I, I guess my thing is like I would have liked to have seen a little more in depth like what she actually did, you know, because it, it's clear there was wrongdoing on their part. There was wrongdoing on the part of a lot of people. But you know, if you're going off of like a legitimate source, an FBI tip, the standard for what libel might be, uh, if I could put on my media lawyer hat for a second, I'm not a media lawyer, but I studied it a lot. I mean, it's a, you know, but I mean, most people know what actual malice is. You know, it's like I mean, if you're gonna write something that's uh, critical of a public figure, like if you have good reason to do it, and that person's a public figure, then like they got to prove that you like knew it was false and you wrote it. And I don't know, this might have been an interesting case. I didn't have time to go back and actually read any of the legal analysis of it, but he wasn't really a celebrity. He became famous because of what he did, and then people started writing about it. He wasn't someone that was already in the public eye, but like still going off of an FBI tip is like a reliable thing to do. So just like saying, if you legitimately got it from an FBI source, throw out the whole sexual, the whole sex part of this for briefly. If she got it from an FBI source, like that's a legitimate thing to report. But I, so I'm thinking there's obviously more stuff they did wrong, more sensational writing she might have done about him. And you don't really see any of that. You see like a few like newspaper clips like come across and that's basically it. You don't get a concept of what the actual coverage was that led to him being able to settle several lawsuits with big news companies. And I mean, maybe you get a more of a sense of what she was responsible for, but you also put a little bit more uh, effort into showing like how contrite she might've eventually been aside from just like, and now us having to like learn all about her outside of this movie because of what they did about portraying her. Like, I feel like there's just a much more honest version of this movie that also gets into some more interesting details. Now, now looking back on it, what, what actually happens in this movie between the bombing and the very end, it's just them hanging out at his apartment, like getting annoyed that the cameras are hounding them. And that's basically it. You don't actually see like, what the, you don't actually see the irresponsible journalism in action, I guess. And that would have been a more interesting thing than I think a lot of what we got was. See, here's the thing, though. As you know, you're someone who has more experience in this field than I did. Like, you have like a journalism background in college. I do. Um, and also, you know, you know the law. <laughs> you're a lawyer. Yeah. Um, the thing is, it's like the problem, though, is, and I guess this is why you have that uh, scene where she's, you know, trading sex for sources, is that journalism seems to be very hard to dramatize even though we get a lot of movies uh, lately about reporting and what i kind of find funny about this film is that like you know you're getting a lot of journalism movies in the past couple of year uh years with spotlight the post and to a certain extent dark waters that 
you know, Clint Eastwood makes like an anti-journalism movie in a, in a sense where the journalists are not the good guys. Um, but, you know, a lot of like reporting is mostly, you know, typing and calling your sources and all the stuff that are not inherently cinematic. And so I guess as a dramatic device, they need to get, okay, get across to the audience that there's mishandling um, by the FBI when it comes to Richard Jewell and, and how do you connect the dots of the uh, media is also complicit. So I guess like, you know, in screenwriter Billy Ray ha uh, hands, like, all right, she trades sources for sex. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I think I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's justified by think that's probably the reason why oh, that 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 side i just made was not me uh disparaging your point that was more me being like man we sung billy ray's praises just a couple months ago for uh the very underrated gemini man and now he's just here letting us down it's very disappointing for my guy who also it's wrote one of the best journal movies about bad journalism that we've ever had in shattered glass wrote and directed it so it's like come on man you should know you should be you, you should be a little better at this kind of thing like you made a very great movie about a bad journalist um and his response was pretty bad when um yeah, the Atlantic Journal called him out on this. Yeah, I know. He, he he just like basically called them fake news, and it's like, bro, you got to like pack it up a little more if you're gonna like defame this woman that can't defend herself. Yeah, no, and then the worst part about it is is that you know Richard Jewell was an actual person who was wrongly accused of something, and basically, you know, because of his association with this movie, and he too is no longer alive. Like they Richard Jeweled. Kathy Scruggs. <laughs> like, yeah. like, but here's the thing, though. Despite that glaring problem, and the, and despite that, I don't agree with Clint's politics, and I think his politics are all over this film. I like this movie. I thought it was effective because of the performances mm. and because of you know the tension that's involved, and also to a certain extent, in 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 a very homogenized. Uh, corporate climate that we have in terms of what gets released in, you know, theaters for a mass audience. I kind of do respect the idea of, even though I don't agree with Clint Eastwood, I kind of like the idea of, like, I get to understand how his mindset works. And also, I find, like, his politics, you know, in the abstract, at least in this movie, you know, you can sort of, the viewer can sort of, you know, project whatever they want onto the film. Like, liberals have just as many good reasons to be upset with the FBI and the media as well. Like it's kind of a universal theme as opposed to something a little bit more malicious, you know, it, you could read this movie as, you know, a defense of Hillary Clinton and that Hillary Clinton is Richard Jewell because she, you know, is a victim of the FBI mishandling a case and the, you know, news media, you know, going for cessationalism as opposed to, you know, well, it's funny. You know? That, it's funny that you made the point about uh, just how both people on both sides of the aisle can kind of take up a beef with this movie. Uh, I don't know if you saw the tweet from Dave Weigel, national politics reporter for the Washington Post, because this movie yeah. is done very poorly, actually. Uh, I mean, I want to talk about it just because I had thoughts it's on it. It's insane how badly it, it's done at the box office, given that. Well, I think well Dave, Dave Weigel's tweet was, Richard Jewell has fallen into, into an unprofitable twilight zone where libs learned enough not to see it, but conservatives aren't aware that they can own the libs by seeing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Yeah, it, 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 you know, that's the problem with Clint's method, I guess, is that, you know, if you're, if you're going to 
film a movie in the summer of this year and then like have it released by Christmas, you know, you got to also like market this movie a lot. So that's one problem. Another problem is yeah, and it didn't it didn't right. it didn't have any. I, I don't. I mean, the trailer wasn't as good as like the Mule trailer. The Mule had a really fucking good trailer. See, I thought okay, the Mule had a fantastic trailer. So did American Sniper. I thought this trailer was actually really good. But the problem is the title, Richard Jewell, and it stars Paul Walter Hauser, who's very good in the movie. It's a phenomenal performance. Okay, so I, I have some more thoughts I got to share about the movie itself, but now I got to ask you since you went there. One, it was originally called The Ballad of Richard, Richard Jewell. I don't, know if that's a, I don't know if it's that much better, but it, it's a little better. And it, it was originally going to star Leonardo DiCaprio in the Sam Rockwell role and Jonah Hill as Richard Jewell. At first, I was like kind of upset when I found out that wasn't happening. Now I'm like glad it didn't because the perform. I like the performances too. I don't think I liked the movie as much as you did, but I thought Paul Walter Hauser is great. Uh, what what is this movie to you if it stars Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, no. Here's the thing. I think it's a more authentic movie that because it stars Sam Rockwell and um, and Rich, and Paul uh, Walter. Paul Walter. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like they probably, you know, I don't really know like from. The accounts that uh, that I've seen of Richard, the real life Richard Jewell, Paul Walter Hauser looks exactly like him. In fact, that they intersplice archival footage of the real Richard Jewell um, in the movie, and you can't really tell the difference. So I think it's more authentic if it's Paul Walter Hauser and Sam Rockwell, and I think Sam Rockwell is doing a really good job too in his performance along with Kathy Bates. Like I think this cast is phenomenal, and I think you know. Um, there's more authenticity with their casting than if you've got the A-list names. Yeah, Sam Rockwell but, is a pretty recognizable guy now, like two-time Oscar nominee and winner and one-time winner. And But, like, it, it would almost be distracting if it's Leo in, in that role. And I'm, I'm one for always wanting Leo to play more regular people, but, like, it, 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 I think it probably would have been a little distracting. I, I got the some, problem, though, is, like, nobody is coming out for a movie about a guy named Richard Joel starring people that they don't really know, or at least they're not, like, bankable stars. Like, Sam Rockwell is mostly in like mid-budget prestige fair. Yeah, and I got some directing lotus for you though. So it was when it was originally announced, it was going to be directed by Paul Greengrass. I don't oh, know Clint Eastwood's better director. I'm sorry. I like look. <laughs> That's I, a take. I, I have my reservations about Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood also, you know, I've gone back and forth with Clint Eastwood. Like I used to really not like his movies. I used to think he is one of the most overrated directors. Then I went back, watched his '70s stuff. And oddly, Clint Eastwood, in the last three years, has gotten better as a director. Paul Greengrass, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's, he's hit his directing prime at 86. But how unbearable would the bomb scene have been with Paul Greengrass? Like, would he have been able to control himself with the shaky cam? Like, I think it would have, like, made me leave the theater. My thing is, like, that dude thinks that shaky, if you shake the camera, you get more attention. Like, the only good movie, the only great movie under his, his belt is uh, United 93, where, like, his aesthetic actually works for the film. Everything else is fucking maddening. Like, no, Clint Eastwood's a better director. I'm sorry. Wow. I'm sorry. Like, I appreciate the hot take on a movie that I'm very lukewarm on. Uh, <laughs> it was a very interesting group of what-if directors. Okay, so one that I didn't actually – one that I know was actually announced at one point with the press release that got me very excited was Ezra Edelman, who you might know as the director of O.J. Made in America. Guy's never done a featured film, and I was like, huh. This guy I thought he is, did. I thought he did a biopic of some, like, oh, jazz he? Yeah. Okay. He's never done – Oh, okay. Wait, I I might have I might have just missed that. Uh, let's see. Did he do it? Uh, he set the director Roberto Clemente biopic. He, yeah. Uh, I don't know. 
um, maybe maybe he did. It's not showing up on uh, on Wikipedia if he did. It's just showing up his different sports documentaries. Uh, but maybe he did. But like, I mean, I had no idea what a what a feature film would look like from him. But like, OJ Made in America was great, and he obviously yeah. has a pretty oh, unique I'm, perspective. I'm, I'm mistaking. Yeah, he didn't do that. I thought I thought he did. My bad. I so he's that. gonna do a Roberto Clemente biopic, which is pretty interesting but i mean him doing this i was just very curious i was like you made a great documentary how many people how often do you see like someone make a great documentary and then go straight into like a movie with like interesting stars because he was going to do it also when it was still leo and jonah hill then all of them got dropped out here it says that at one point uh, who i never saw a press release like i did for edelman but it says david o russell was considered which is like wow i don't know what that movie looks like um i feel like that's probably a little bit more comedic and probably like more Iraq, like maybe make fun of Richard Joel a little bit more. Yeah, that would have been uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> and then and 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 then, and then they got to Clint and they uh, recast the actors. Leo and Jonah Hill were still producers, but it's just a very odd movie to undergo like that many different incarnations of stars and directors that are uh, would have brought so many different sensibilities to the movie. I think they probably got it right though, because I can't I can't say for sure Ezra Edelman would have been differently, but I'm not more interested in seeing Paul Greengrass and David O. Russell. So maybe as far as the directing, but as far as the people shaping the story, uh, you would have thought they were in good hands with Billy Ray. Probably not. And uh, who knows? But exactly. here's the thing: the movie is like to me like a really tight thriller. Like it's an effective rip from the headline. Like you know, um, I think Clint has been a little bit more effective in recent. Like for instance, like you know, it's like you know, it's a compa- You can view it as a companion piece, but like solely. But I feel like solely that movie, I like it. But I think you know, there's only 40 minutes of movie, and the rest of it has no reason to exist. And this is a more compelling story. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, I, and maybe I'm a little too harsh on it for like not there not being enough meat in the story itself because the fact yeah. is not a ton happens. Like they don't actually ever get to a point in an investigation where he could uh, where like where they're going to charge him with a crime. So it's like a very intri- it's not a very like long chain of events for per se. It's like he gets accused and then he can't really leave his house because he's like become infamous all of a sudden so there's only so much you can really put in there i guess i just wanted a little more i just wanted the journalism side to be a little better done and i wanted to i I guess there's not really much the fbi was doing that was their problem it was like they kind of got put themselves in a corner but they had nothing to go off of so there's probably not that much else to show it's like how do you show someone not finding evidence like they showed him searching his apartment and what else can you do so i mean there were parts of it that were like pretty compelling to me and i i knew i I mean i knew he ultimately wasn't they they caught the guy that did it in like 2003 i think it took him a while but like i guess there's not a whole lot else they could have done with the story i just there's obviously certain elements of it they could have handled differently and i'm not even as critical of the politics as you it's just like i mean i mean i I mean because like like i said maybe the fbi really was as bad as they said it's just clint doesn't get the benefit of the doubt on that issue you know yeah yeah. by the way i and i'm not upset with the politics of the film because i find that like the most interesting thing the back and forth between sam rockwell and richard jewell and sam rockwell's his character is sort of expressing the politics of the film of like why aren't you angry with the government look how they're mistreating you here um yeah so in a way it almost shows both sides yeah <laughs> but yeah, so like I, I'm 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 find the part like the stuff inside uh, uh, Richard Jewell's uh, apartment like the most compelling stuff where you're seeing you know how he's being harassed. Well, you, all, well, you also see me get the chest pains at one point. I mean, I think I don't know if that that was that was just subtle enough or the most on the nose thing ever because he dies of a heart attack ten years later. So who knows how many like years that took off his life. Uh, but like i mean that's another thing of it where it's like they are showing like this is taking a toll on the guy as nice as he's being to everyone around him too nice in fact Mm -hmm. yeah 
but yeah, like, where do you, quick question, in terms of, like, your um, perception of, like, Clint's filmography, like, where do you rank it? Like, you well, know, I, like, I'm not a good person to ask because I'm, I'm bad and I'm a bad film goer and I haven't seen enough of his old stuff to really comment. So, well, okay, but out of the recent stuff, like, okay. I think this is like a step down from the mule, but better than almost everything else. Uh, so what are, we, what are we talking when we say that? We're talking solely. I didn't see the 1517 to Paris. Obviously, better than that. Not that hard to do that. Uh, American Sniper. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, Jay I, Edgar. I never that's saw. I never saw. I never. I never saw Jay Edgar. Invictus. Uh, that's a nothing burger. Who? By the Invictus way, is who fine. allows Clint Eastwood to direct the biopic of Nelson Mandela? Why did? Why do we let that happen? Well, it's not a. Well, actually, you know what's weird about that movie is I think I think it's not really about Nelson Mandela. I mean, it kind of is, but like it's about that. But team. it's about the rugby. Team. But then, but then, Morris like Morris. I think Morgan Freeman. I think Morgan Freeman got nominated for best actor, and Damon was supporting. I think even though like it was really, it, it should have been flipped. But like. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, if he wants to do something, he gets to do it. You know, I mean, like his up until I mean, I don't know if fifteen seventeen to Paris made money, but a lot of his movies still do make money. So I'm not surprised yeah. he, he heard about the, the story and wanted Clint, to do it. But yeah, not the best choice for that specific guy. Yeah, no. And the thing with the box office on this movie, what's shocking about it, and it's kind of impressive for Clint, is his lowest uh, opener since Bronco Billy, unadjusted for inflation. So like Bronco Billy came out like. 1980 or something like that so he hasn't done anything lower than this and what about jersey boys you have strong feelings on jersey boys i didn't i missed that one i'm sorry clint (laughs) (laughs) no i mean i guess i guess if i'm just looking since since 2000 and i've missed things here and there i might go like i don't know number one mystic river number two the mule number three i don't know million dollar baby yeah i guess i did like million dollar baby i I don't know a lot of people didn't like it i mean i haven't seen it like basically since it came out so since i was like 14 years old so i haven't had a strong desire to go back to it because really who wants to go spend a lot more time in that world with the in that story but like i mean i guess that was pretty well done so if i just say it's top three of the millennium i guess i would go million dollar baby mystic river and the mule and i don't know and and, and i guess i liked i liked american sniper i mean i recognize why some people have some problem problems with it but like i think it's still like a cut above a lot of this other stuff so And, and my thing with like american sniper and i said this at the time the thing with clint eastwood's pop like the thing is, like, we know him as, like, the most famous non-liberal in Hollywood, right? But it's, but it's also a true story. Like, that dude killed a bunch of people. Like, if you want to tell that story, yeah, you can be like, maybe maybe Clint gets off on this more than the rest of us, but it's a good telling of that story. But, no, but that's the thing. That's the thing. His actual politics is, he like, if you remember that Obama um, chair thing uh, incident at the RNC, he's he was criticizing Obama for, like, continuing the war in Afghanistan. Like, his politics are very complicated. You know, he's pro-gay marriage. He's pro-abortion because he made some of his girlfriends have one. Um, and, <laughs> that doesn't stop people from being anti-abortion, though, sometimes. Yeah. But, um, and, but he's also, like, anti-interventionist. Like, his po- and, like, and the mule is, like, a movie Correct against, me if I'm like, wrong. He's not, he's not like John Voight out here going full MAGA either, right? Well, I think he likes Trump. I like, oh, he, likes okay. the politically, he likes the political incorrectness of it. But in terms of his actual politics on, like, policies and stuff— Clint just like low. He likes low taxes. He doesn't like interventionism. He is pro gay marriage, pro abortion. He's socially liberal. Like so, the most the libertarian thing, movie ever. Like you were saying. Yeah, he's just a libertarian. Um, and so like the thing with American Sniper is people have these preconceived notions of him, and like the politics of that movie are a little bit more complicated. It's about like I think 
Bradley Cooper's performance is the one that adds injects nuance into the movie where, you know, you can see that this is a guy who's haunted and conflicted by the trauma of the violence that he's committed. You know what I mean? So I just think people just like sort of I think his I think Clint's movies for the most part present a more um, complicated image of America and American jingoism than people would like to admit. I agree. Uh, I have a uh, quickly on the performances before we move on to Dark Waters. I agree. Paul Walter Hauser is great. I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, anyone knew him from I Tanya, and it's like, oh yeah, like he should probably be the guy playing Richard Jewell, and he uh, he, he did it, he did it really well. And I guess oh yeah, and he was he was in Black Klansman too. I forgot about that. He was one of the kind of guys. Wow, that's one of the weirdest career jumps, going from a Spike Lee movie to a Clint Eastwood. Uh, movie like like um you can't say like, no to that though once you, it's like hey you get to you get to like get in with leonardo dicaprio and jonah hill too like you gotta rub shoulders and get whatever roles you can uh, i mean yeah no no it's just like especially when you look like him it's just like i can't think of like two polar like almost completely opposite filmmakers yeah, the, the guy the guy contains uh he contains multitudes uh yeah. oh, I, I guess i forgot he was in late night too he's one of the guys in the writer's room in late night so it's our second paul walter hauser movie this year as well as our uh second billy ray movie but uh yeah i mean i thought john ham i mean he's your perfect replacement level fbi agent actor like he's already done that in like three other movies so that was yeah he was in the town right yeah That's yeah character. yeah that was fine and um or just your perfect bureaucrat government guy because I, I just watched the report too and uh which actually has some like similarities to um to dark waters which we're about to talk about but like i don't know he's he's gonna be your governmental shady governmental figure good for him um I, again i like kathy bates i i don't know i, I kind of and back which to, by the way isn't it kind of crazy if you had to make a bet like two years ago like who would be the star of a clint eastwood movie jo- like who would be the actual star of the film uh john ham or paul walter house <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a that's a good one. Um, yeah, and I and I, I agreed with you on Olivia Wilde. Like, there's a version of that character that's just like they can do in an unproblematic way. That's like really interesting just to watch someone with those mannerisms navigate that world. It's just they kind of they kind of drop the ball on it. And that's unfortunate. Um, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts though? No, nah, you know, I, I I had fun. I had fun. Um, you know, Clint. Like, you keep making your. Uh, what's funny about Clint's films? The ones that's. Uh, star him versus the ones that star other people is like the films about other people are the ones that are about like man it's this one man being fucked by the system um and then when this movie's about him it's like man look at this fucked up guy just having to like make amends for his past well well, yeah well i guess he hadn't actually acted in any of his stuff before uh before the mule since gran torino though right because he didn't he didn't direct trouble with the curve and he hadn't really acted between those besides that between the two yeah. Um, so, but I mean, I, I thought he was really good in the meal though as an actor. It's kind of cool that he still has that in him and has the energy to act that well and direct a movie of that quality at his age is incredible. Yeah. Um, but uh, the mule, the I mean, like here's the thing. I think we sounded like we both liked the mule when we did it last year. But I'm gonna tell you something. I like it better when you watch it on cable. That movie's made to be watched on cable. Yeah, and people and people probably didn't quite grasp how much you liked it because we talked about it at the same time as Welcome to Marwin. So just anything was going to pair in comparison to Marwin for you. So I mean, you probably just had trouble getting as excited. It just sounded like a come down inevitably. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, there we go. But we, we got to move on to Dark Waters because I got a movie to make myself. Dark Waters is the newest movie from director Todd Haynes. He didn't write this one. He used to write his own stuff, and he's, I guess he's gotten away from that a little bit. Uh, Todd Haynes, it stars uh, Mark Ruffalo as Robert Billet, a corporate lawyer in Cincinnati, Ohio, but he's from rural West Virginia and kind of gets dragged back to West Virginia by a farmer that's a family, uh, an acquaintance of his family played by Bill Camp named Wilbur Tennant, who is a cattle farmer, but all of his cattle are dying because he thinks the nearby DuPont facility is poisoning the water and killing the cattle. Uh, he wants Robert, who is a corporate defense attorney that represents big companies, to help him out. And uh, he ends up doing so, and thus ensues a 20-year legal battle for him to get to the bottom of all the pollutant that DuPont is doing. Y- you know, I, I, this, is in, this is interesting because I don't know if you were following the – at least the the mark not even the marketing but just the production or the word of mouth about this movie josh but like for the long time everyone's like wow todd haynes and mark ruffler are doing a movie and like no one had any idea what it was about until the trailer came out it was kind of weird that they just like kind of it probably could help that they were shooting off the grid they kind of shot on location in cincinnati and stuff and were able to um and they were able to just kind of do their own thing and i don't know it, it, it was a story i didn't know a lot about and and it's not really the normal subject matter that todd haynes goes for but i think he had a lot of inspiration from certain 70s movies that this movie evokes and uh i don't know i really like this movie i there's not much to it i kind of told you i want to do the richard jewel first cause i didn't have as much to say but like if you just want to do like hey let's want to watch a legal thriller about a guy that takes down a big company and i thought they did that pretty well what was your initial reaction to this movie I had the same take as you, and I was kind of – it was my biggest surprise of the year because, you know, when I saw the trailer, it, like, it looked like, oh, this is going to be one of those Oscar also-rans, right? Like, like you know, it's not getting that much buzz. Uh, the reviews seem to be mixed. And, Which is odd know, for, like, a guy that has Oscar history with the Academy, like Todd Haynes, and given the subject matter, it didn't really catch yeah. on in that way. And that was the other thing, too, because I've been kind of agnostic on Todd Haynes. I never really got the hype. Kind of, to me, just made, like, prestige films that never really connected with me that much. Like, I could probably respect, you know, I respect Carol to a certain extent. I respect Far From Heaven. Far From Heaven. I actually have not seen any of the pre-Carol stuff. I saw Wonderstruck, and that was an awesome trailer, and I was very let down by it. Um, that's abominable that movie was abominable yeah had a great trailer though like when i do my uh end of the year awards i, I think i might have forgotten to do it last year but i want to i'm doing like the wonderstruck award or the or it's either the wonderstruck award or the secret life of walter mitty award for a movie that wasn't as good as its trailer uh, but hey but, the walter mitty fans are gonna get you yeah. there's, there's many of them dozens of them whatever well, but like I, I i can't speak to his earlier filmography i kind of want to go back and watch it but yeah it was it was an interesting like it was an interesting rollout for this movie though given all that yeah, and so, like, you know, I, had, I came in with very low expectations, and I came out of it, like, really enjoying it and thinking it's the best Todd Haynes movie I've mm. ever seen. Wow. Uh, like, I, like, I, you know, on Letterboxd, I make a list of, like, my number one contro- controversial favorites from famous directors. Oh, okay. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, list of movies that, like, you know, most people, you know, would be shocked to say that's your number one film from that director you know, instead of their more iconic works. And this is almost on that list. I just haven't seen uh, Safe uh, to make it official. But, yeah, like, and, you know, I think he probably would be better suited making movies like this, to be honest. This this film works as a really, you know, intriguing procedural. And like, like you, I didn't know anything about, you know, how dangerous teflon is and how we're gonna die from it <laughs> yeah so it deals with teflon which is uh, in, teflon but also uh, the chemical that's used to make teflon is pfoa which i guess it's uh stands for 
Uh, actually, I'm not going to try and say what that stands for. It's a very long word. There's a reason they call it a PFOA. But it's a, <laughs> it's a very dangerous chemical that's in just like basically everything. And all of us, it's toxic, and every American basically has it in them because it's so pervasive. And I think the most interesting thing about this movie, uh, more so, I think the biggest accomplishment that it is, that it has to like really make you feel the scope of this movie. It takes place over so many years, and you really got to like feel worn down by this case as this guy does, and you got to feel the weight of how the toll it's taken on his life. And I think it accomplishes that. But I think the, the most interesting part about the plot itself is that uh and i felt the same way about the report also is that like all this sh- like they, there wasn't really a cover-up you know it's a, it's about trying to take on a big corporation where the corporation doesn't even have to cover up its crimes because it's so big and powerful that it just doesn't think anyone's gonna bother coming back to it you know like i mean and you've seen that device in movies which is a thing that could happen like you're gonna get a lot of discovery if you file a discovery request in a lawsuit they're gonna overwhelm you with papers so you can't find the big thing but it's like they also could have just like destroyed it and covered up anything that was really bad and said like they were too lazy to even go find the bad evidence it's like okay we just have all these boxes like they're never no one's ever going to really bother even if we turn it over well there is uh, yeah i like that there's like this very good like visual representation of like what mark ruffalo's character is up against where like you know they they give him all the documents that he you know requested through a court order but there's so many that they give him that like you know it overwhelms his office and it would take him years to like uh, go through all of them but like i do think there's a cover-up because like the employees of the film i mean the employees of the company um you know they they are told like oh yeah there's something wrong with you when they're like pulled away from the assembly line and then to like you know hide the fact that uh, uh something's up they put them back on just to you know instead of admit wrongdoing right but a, a lot of that stuff was from like earlier like back like it's like they were they were able to find evidence of them doing that like back in the sixties and stuff. Yeah. And but like in the present time, they don't really try a cover up. They're just like we're a big mighty corporation that can just bury you in legal and in, in, in run up your and like cost you so much money. We can afford to spend all this time in court, and you can't because you're a freaking you're a lawyer at a defense firm and you don't have the time to just because uh, you know defense lawyers they work off of hourly rates, whereas the plaintiffs lawyers they get a percentage of the settlement. So like I'm and I'm thinking about that as I'm watching this like yeah they can just like kind of run run anyone into the ground because it's like not really worth it for a lot of people I mean there are lawyers that have mass torts departments that like focus on this kind of stuff but that's not the kind of law firm he was at so a big law firm might look at someone like him and just be like one is the kind the whole there's a side of it where it's like they're actually kind of friends with Dupont and Dupont doesn't even give a shit when he sues him initially because they think it's just gonna be like a, a small thing or he's doing for a favor and it'll be pocket change for them. But then he starts like digging and it's like they normally think, oh, we can just squash you and they should be able to squash him. And I was thinking about this as I'm watching. It's like, man, like this guy can't actually be advancing at this law firm and making like a good living because it works with defense lawyers. You got to work off of billable hours. Like you got to like be able to bill a client for work. And when you're the one suing on behalf of the injured person, that's not billable work. So I'm like, how is he putting this much time into this case and still not like failing at the law firm? And then it's like, oh, we find out later in the movie, this is taking a toll on him. One, it's like super stressful. Two, he's had to take like four pay cuts. So you kind of get this you really get a good sense of just how much this guy has sacrificed and it made sense that a guy that works at a defense law firm would have to sacrifice like that see by the way i'm not gonna lie when you talk when you inject your legal experience into this when you bring your legal expertise into this it turns me off i get so excited when when you're like you say turns me on or turns me off turns me on i'm like okay okay I'm like, wow, Josh, he, he really knows, like, tort reform, man. Like, like what it's – I just like that. Like, I love it when you, like – we need to do, like uh, – like, if, if we ever went back and did a rewind of, like, other movies. Like, I would love to see your take on Philadelphia. 
It's oh. like, I don't know, Den- Denzel's character well, would never do that. Like, well, no well, lawyer would. Want well, to know a fun uh, fact about Philadelphia, which I like, but I haven't watched in a while. It, that was filmed because I, I, I lived in Philadelphia from 1991 to 1996. And my dad is a lawyer in Philadelphia, and they filmed that building. They filmed that movie in my dad's building. My dad peed next to Tom Hanks in a bathroom in that building. Um, oh, see, now it's just we need to just keep doing like legal movies. <laughs> like, uh, we know one cool thing about the law firm in this movie is though, is that like I thought it was gonna be like all these surely white guys that are just like, oh, come on, fuck off, what are you even doing? And I really like the arc of the Tim Robbins character, which could have been like a nothing part. Yeah, no, I like that dynamic of his character where, yes, he's a suit, but like he is supportive of his, he has a heart. Employees. Yeah, his yeah, he's supportive of his, of his employees um, investigating. He's actually, you know. Uh, uh, following through on like Mark Ruffalo's research while also being tough on him. Like, you know, he, he, he conveys like, you know, how he's torn where he understands the noble pursuit of what Mark Ruffalo is doing. And he's actually supportive of it at the same time, you know, it's costing them their legal connections. It's costing them money to like, you know, fund the, you know, uh, the research and, and the manpower to go through all these documents and stuff like that and get, and get these settlements. Like, you know, it, he, you see him torn, and there's this great scene where Anne Hathaway confronts him at the hospital and, like, tells him, I wish you would stop treating, like, my husband as if he were a failure or making him feel like he was a failure. And now that gives that, that gets to, like, my main problem with the film, which I do really like the film, but it has one glaring like fucking issue and i think we both know what it is go ahead and ha- it's just the wife the wife character that infamous- well, we talked about this on the marriage story podcast like i don't think she has a divorce she's trying to pay off like noah Baumbach did when he did madagascar 3 so what is she doing in this movie <laughs> yeah I, I just think maybe mark ruffalo is just a really good friend you know um or like todd, like- todd haynes is like i'll cast you in my next movie that's like as prestigious as carol i just want you to yeah. do this for me yeah, I'll cast you as the 50s housewife uh, where you're actually the lead. But yeah, no, it's like the most – like it's, it's such a terrible it's like, character. It's, it's, it's like why – why why Todd Haynes – well, he didn't write the movie. But it's like shouldn't someone have looked at this, a producer, and been like this is like the worst version of like a wet blanket person. Like the wife is simply getting mad at the husband for doing his job. Like there's like not, not a worse trope in movies. Yeah, I know. It's like the wife is like always reluctant to be supportive. Um, it's just like the wet, you know, always like, as you said, being the wet blanket, always pouring the cold water on like the husband's dreams. And like, it's like, you see it in first man, you see it in Bridges, but it's like, it's just every single movie has this fucking wife character that you don't need. You don't fucking need. Like, I rather, I rather not understand Mark Ruffalo's home life than have this fucking character. Uh, or you tell a movie from this character's point of view uh, where it's a little bit more sympathetic to the wife. I, like, Or you have, like, a subversion of the trope where the wife is supported from the get-go. And the wife is a lawyer, too. Like, they want to make That's that point. Most, like, she she gave up her career. She, she gave up her career to, like, be a housewife, which is fine. But it's, like, she should get what the life what the life of a lawyer is, especially one that's, like, having to work in a in a in, in hard enough to support the entire family because she doesn't work. Like, she should get that. Yeah, no, like, but anyway, like, you know, it, it's not Anne Hathaway's fault. No, 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 no. She's I'm not a half like, a hater. Yeah. I'm not half a hater. Um, no, she has, she's hater? had no. She's had inc- I mean, she had an incredible few years. I mean, actually, uh, she's had a not so great 
this year because of you know serenity and serenity. Uh, the hustle but like i mean like i mean just in the couple years before that i mean ocean's colossal. Eight, oh, colossal and ocean's eight like awesome in both of those um yeah, I, like, yeah, I like her yeah but so I mean, yeah good for her that, yeah but that, that's the bad part of this movie i want to talk about a good part of this movie though because we just talked about the uh richard jewell and how yeah it's hard to make journalism uh compelling they didn't even really try here i think they actually made like grunt legal work pretty compelling which i guess is a testament to todd haynes direction i mean he's talked a lot about how he was like inspired by the cinematography of like all the president's men and godfather and stuff like that and the thing is like one thing i take away from like todd haynes's previous films and where it's clearly because everybody's like why would he make this movie is so different from his rest is that you know todd haynes is a guy who really does carry care about the texture of like the time period of of where his films are set and you really do feel that like you really do feel like the texture of like these legal offices and 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 you know these rural communities and and like you know there's like this this the cinematography of the movie kind of like has this dirty like grainy look to it you but you, know, you, like you, you, you didn't get too bored from those uh just those scenes where he's just working in the room of boxes by himself that 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 worked for you it worked for me. It worked for me. There's a there was a, actually a moment early on in the film where I started dozing off, um, and I thought, "Oh, we're in trouble here." But um, uh, it, but and it, it, sometimes like I doze off during a lot of movies, so it's not indicative of always a movie's quality. It's sometimes indicative of uh, the lack of sleep that I get, hmm. <laughs> or me just getting like, yeah, I'm complete narcoleptic. Gotcha. When I, like, well, I was just gonna say, like that stuff's exciting to me because, like, I mean, I don't do that kind of law, but like, I still like I spend a lot of my days like going through medical records, and like I, I get excited when I find that one thing that shows the plaintiff lied in his or her deposition about not having a prior back injury. Like, I do get a little bit of a rush from doing that at my job. So it's it's it, like, oh shit, no, you got a lumbar fusion in 2006, you liar. Like, I get excited about weird legal shit like that. So I was getting excited when like he found this one damning picture or something like that. I'm like, oh wow, this is really cool. Yeah, no, doing that. So I would- that was. Exciting to me. I, it's just different. I'm wondering, is it exciting to a non-lawyer also? Yeah, no, I'm I'm engaged by because I like I like movies that like I like it when a movie like uh, tries to make the mundane like like you know gripping. Like I, I appreciate that because I rather it you know uh, you know it is a difficult challenge because you again you don't want to bore the audience, but like you know they do it in such a way that it is gripping to see him kind of go through all those boxes. And uncover that thing. You do get a rush, as you say, when you know he he finds the evidence. And then, like you know, and then also with a movie like this, since a lot of it could easily go over to the audience's head, they do a good job of like you know uh, uh, holding your hand without making it obvious that they're holding your hand, explaining to you like what did Dupont do um, that was so corrupt. Speaking of what did Dupont do, uh, did you uh, find it a little ironic? that Mark Ruffalo is taking DuPont down in this movie after John DuPont killed him in Foxcatcher five years ago. Yeah, no, I, I was like, yeah, which I would imagine like that his involvement in this in, in Foxcatcher probably leads to this movie getting made. Maybe he just like started researching more about DuPont. It's like, ha, there's another story here. But, um, and, and I'll say this. Yeah, he was a producer on the film, so I think he, he did bring it to Todd Haynes, so who knows? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, t- uh, according to Todd Haynes, like Mark Ruffalo chose them and, and you know this was his. This is Mark Ruffalo's baby. And honestly, what shocked me too is that uh, is that even though he says um, uh, they knew a lot, like he, uh, he's, give, he's giving a better performance here. Yeah, than he did in Spotlight. 
Yeah, no, no. Foxcatcher is one of my favorite supporting performances of the decade. He is great in that. And I was like, I man, he's like my favorite actor. I was so all in on him. And then like one year later, Spotlight comes out, and I'm like, he is like my fourth favorite supporting male performance in this movie, and he's the only one getting an Oscar nomination. It's ridiculous. Uh, well, like he's the only one that's actively bad in that movie. Everybody else got the memo. Like, hey, we're going to do it low-key. We're going to do it subtle. We're going to do this Sidney yeah. Lumet-style movie. Yeah, Michael, Ke- then- Michael Keaton should have gotten an Oscar for that movie. And he should have won the Oscar. It shouldn't have not been Mark Ruffalo even getting a nomination. Or uh, Stanley Tucci. Or, or, or Stanley Tucci. Or, uh, or I mean... Brian, Brian D.R.C. James. Yeah, or Billy Crudup. Like, anyone. Uh, you, you know, it, I don't know. It was just like whatever. But I was worried because of that. I was like, oh, they he's knew. trying. He's trying. They knew. They knew, and they let him off the hook. But like, I mean, I was worried he was gonna like. He's trying to be like this really eccentric journalist with all those ticks. I'm like, oh god, he's gonna do the same thing as a lawyer and like have all these weird mannerisms that he thinks a lawyer would have. And he didn't do any of that. He played it straight, and I think he did it well. Yeah, and again, like I think uh, Todd Haynes, you know, he likes from what I gather from his other movies is that he likes, you know low-key, you know, uh, performances, characters that are, you know, they have a lot of things going on in in their interior, and they, you know, don't know how to, like, you know, show the burden that they're, they already try to hide the burden that they're carrying um, when they're interacting with people. So, you know, maybe that's where Todd Haynes, you know, his direction is uh, effective here by reigning Mark Ruffalo. Before we move on, got to give a shout out to Liev Shriver too. That th- those are the three that I, I definitely thought were the better than Mark Ruffalo's Liev Shriver, Michael Keaton, and uh, Stanley Tucci. And you could you could put Brian Darcy James and Billy Crudup right there. Those are uh, not as significant roles in that movie. But Spotlight, I mean, my favorite movie of 2015. But like, it's just disappointing that an actor that I really like in Mark Ruffalo was like the worst part of it. Um, yeah. But uh, but but yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Bill Camp, who I always love when he pops up and stuff? Oh, and yeah, I was Bill I was like, Camp. wow, this is a choice, man. Bill Camp, I've, I've, I think I've started taking note of him since uh, Wildlife, which was last year, right? Yeah, like, well, you did. Mo- he, I mean, he was one of the better parts of Molly's game. He's, he has yeah. a whole section devoted right to him that he goes on tilt. Yeah. Yeah, he's like one of my favorite character actors. And you know what's funny? Like, I think that's probably like the worst performance I've seen him give out of like the many great ones that I've seen him recently. But it still probably works a little better than it should, given all the <laughs> all the weird eyebrow shit they put on him and the weird voice. It's like, all right, you could, this could have gone worse, though. It's still really out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he he, he knows how to grab your attention at the very least. I I almost want to see the kitchen just for him because I hear he's. I didn't like, know, I, I, I didn't know he was in that movie. I, yeah, I got yeah, like yeah. it was like seventeen percent in Rotten Tomatoes. I was like, sorry, I don't have time for this right now. That I mean, was one of those like curiosities where like oh, watch uh, it if it pops up on streaming somewhere. Yeah, like I wanted to see it just because I'm like, hmm, maybe the critics are wrong on this one. I don't know, you know. Um, but yeah, like one thing I do like about this movie too, and I think like you know, to what what's in it for Todd Haynes is you know like I imagine that he's a very progressive guy, and I think. And, like, you know, he his movies are about, like, marginalized communities, uh, whether it's gay people or women in the 50s, you know. Um, and so, like, you know, the people in West Virginia who may not ever go to, like, a Todd Haynes movie may not be don't, their thing. And probably don't share his politics. Yeah, and don't share his politics. You know, they are still humans that are being fucked over by these corporations. And definitely and don't share Mark Ruffalo's politics. Mark Ruffalo is one of the bigger activists out there among the actors. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, he's very anti-fracking, he's a very good environmentalist, like, um, I, I, I imagine that, like, you know, that's what, you know, like, this, go, like, delving deep into, like, you know, how these marginalized communities are hurt by, like, you know, 
corporate America. And also just how, how, and how much a big corporation that's set, like, that has a big uh, presence in a small town can, like, control every facet of that town, basically. Yeah, and one of the finer touches I liked about this movie is that you you see that towards the end, like, he used the real-life people that this movie is about. Like, they, they're playing themselves, yeah. which I actually thought was kind of clever because, like, the movie's not condescending towards these people. Like, maybe in someone else's hands, like, they would have made them out to be yokels, you know what I mean? But, like, they're not. They're just, like, people, and, and, and they're being fucked over by this corporation, Um yeah, they start treating they start treating uh, Mark Ruffalo and his family kind of poorly because they're like, why haven't we heard back on this? Why haven't we heard back? But, but I mean, that's an under that's an understandable thing for someone that doesn't know how legal cases work. Right. Yeah. No, it's perfectly understandable because like they're getting ill, they're paying you know huge medical bills right now, and they have to go several years like without an answer after like Mark Ruffalo like told them that they, he would fight for them, and you know, and, and I what I like is like you see the stress, the toll that it takes on him and his family in those intervening years. And I love, you know, the final scene of the movie where, you know, he's going case by case um, yeah. for every one of these victims. Like, um, it's very... That guy's got to have so much money now and getting a percentage of every one of those settlements. That guy's got to be <laughs> fucking loaded. I just love it when you get wonky. I, I just... I, he just <laughs> what's another legal movie coming out? I just want to... Oh, Just Mercy, right? I, I, I might I might do the pot. I'm not excited for that movie, but I, I'm I not do the pot. I mean, you know, Destin Crenton's my guy. Short Term Troll is one of my favorite movies, but like, it just doesn't. It doesn't seem like the buzz has been great. I'll, I mean, I'll do it. I don't. I don't know as much about criminal law, though. I know more about civil law, so I, mean, I don't know if I can talk. I, I know if I can talk dirty to you on that one. Um, oh God, Marriage <laughs> Story though, that was great. When you, like you had just, just explain retainers <laughs> yeah. for me. Explain yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he. I, I bet. I bet his firm wished he would have gotten a retainer uh, in in for the first twenty years of that case. Um, uh, do you have Do you have any other any other thoughts on Dark Waters though before we sign off? Uh no, it's a very good movie. Sans the wife character. Um, it's a pleasant surprise. Catch it, you know. And then like it's a type of movie that you both. You come out of it like, you know, feeling, oh, right, you know, fighting the system. At the same time, you know, it tells you that you're fucked. Like, you, you have this poisonous thing in your system. <laughs> so, tricky balancing act, but it works. Yeah, I mean, I, t- t- I mean, politics are, like, definitely in a, in a better place, for sure, than Richard Jewell. I mean, it's a, it's a good message about the dangers of corporations and how they can really have free reign to do this kind of crap unless, like, someone really has to step up and take on a huge burden. And luckily, that's what happened in this story. But I think a sad thing to think about is there are probably a lot of other examples out there, corporate malfeasance, where there's just not enough people with enough resources to really give a crap. And that's kind of a scary thought about America. But this movie is kind of, like, makes it clear, like, hey, like we need people to like kind of step up and do the right thing because there's not a lot of checks on corporations especially uh even more so now than there probably was the making of this movie when you uh, have a government that's become even more corporation friendly since the events of this movie took place so it's a scary thought but the movie conveyed that scary thought very effectively and uh glad to see uh mark ruffalo uh making use of his time when he's not doing the marvel stuff so uh yeah, Josh, before we sign off, uh, anything else you want to plug? Have you, have you found a new movie to champion for 2020 yet? Or uh, what's on your mind? Anything you want to plug before we sign off? Uh, I'm good. You know, you can follow me on Letterboxd. You know, uh, you know, I think Gemini Man is probably on digital Blu-ray, but <laughs> I'd actually probably say you missed your chance of seeing it the way it was meant to be seen. Yeah, maybe, maybe you'll come back for Spies in Disguise, which I still don't know anything about other than it's about Spies in Disguise. 
Um, <laughs> see, the po- that podcast should just be you like slowly watching the movie. Uh, yeah, to do a stream of consciousness thing as I uh, as I watch. Um, it, 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 by the way, if, if one of the identities that the spies in the skies have is a lawyer, oh shit, oh, that'd man. be great. Gosh, I, I I still have no idea what this movie is. Besides, like, I guess it involves Will Smith and it involves spies and it's animated. So everyone thinks that's crazy that I haven't watched the trailer yet. So I'm really kind of looking forward to going into that one blind. I've somehow avoided seeing it. I mean, it's basically been like that. Uncut Gems. Those are the two that I'm running out of the theater during. Uh, so, uh, but yeah. So I guess uh, you can stay tuned for that one. Stay tuned for any lawyer things that uh, Josh wants to join for. As usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J O S H. J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. So hit us up there for any feedback, and we'll see you next time.